Jonathan Z. Smith, the Robert O. Anderson Distinguished Service Professor of the Humanities at the University of Chicago, grew up in Manhattan, where as a teenager, he aspired to be an agrostologist, that is, a botanist who specializes in breeding grasses. When grass was just what cows ate. <laughs> a plan he did not abandon until he belatedly turned to the study of religion and philosophy as an undergraduate at Haverford College. His early fascination with botanical classification, the Marxism of Manhattan's West Side, and Ernst Cassirer's work in linguistics all left their mark on a scholar who more than any other has shaped the study of religion for our generation. Aaron, Abelard, Ablution, Abortion, Abstinence, Abrahamic religions, accretions, acculturation, Adam and Eve, adoptionism. He was a dynamo. Yeah, my name is Carol Miskowski. I teach at Illinois Wesleyan University. I'm the McPhee Professor of Religion here, and I'm also the Director of Women's and Gender Studies. And he was like a tidal wave um, in the classroom. He was so full of energy and information. His erudition is astonishing when I look back at that. Um, so he was, he was sort of an overwhelming presence. But one also got the sense, you know, even though as a naive undergraduate, that he was creating a new field in a way. Um, so it was like, um, I would say like catching a will of the wisp, but he was much more solid than that. Um, I met him actually uh, 50 years ago, almost exactly right now. Sure. My name is Sam Gill. Uh, I teach at the University of Colorado at Boulder. Uh, so I was at the University of Chicago starting in the fall of 1967. And I think it was probably Frank Reynolds or somebody that said, hey, you should, you should go do some work with Jonathan Smith. And um, I knew he had something of a growing reputation at the time, but I didn't really know who he was. So I uh, made an appointment, found his office, and went to see him. And when I did that, um, I, <laughs> we had a very brief first encounter. Uh, and I just very naively said, uh, I'm supposed to be here to do something with you. And he said, well, why would I want to work with somebody like you? And I was like shocked. <laughs> and uh, so I muttered around a little bit. And he said, well, write me a paper and leave it by the end of the week. And, and I'll see. And so I did that. And when I dropped the paper off, made an appointment to see him the following week and uh, went in to see that or to see him then. 
And it was a it was a remarkable meeting. He sat on one side of the desk. I sat on the other. And I could see that he, on the very first page of my paper, had just covered it with red ink. It was just amazing. And he started in from word by word, sentence by sentence, literally ripping the thing to pieces. And um, I remember particularly one word he stopped uh, on, and the word was infamous. Um, I think the paper was on Moody or somebody early 20th century. And he said, this is a word you should never, ever use. And I just frankly didn't even know what the word meant. I thought it meant very famous instead of negatively famous. So anyway, we went on and on and on, and I just sort of decided that I was done. I'd probably just need to leave, and that was the end of my career in religion. And after a half hour or so of this, he said, you know, this isn't really that bad of a paper. And he handed it to me and said, rewrite it and get it back to me next week. Uh, Well, I walked out of his office, and as I was walking across campus, I suddenly realized that though I had... I don't know, at least one graduate degree, maybe two before that. This is actually my very, very first learning experience. It was the first time someone took me so seriously that they gave me their full attention and criticism. Uh, One of the things uh, about him as an advisor is when you had his attention, you had all of his attention. My name is uh, Gene Gallagher. I used to teach at Connecticut College in New London, Connecticut, and I retired from there in 2015, and now I teach part-time at the College of Charleston. I don't think I've ever had since anything read as carefully as he read the successive drafts of my dissertation. And those were the days when you could get a job without being finished, so I, I went back to Chicago at one point And I remember meeting with him after he introduced a speaker and then cut out through the side door so that we could go over uh, the final parts of my dissertation uh, to get it ready for acceptance uh, during that summer. So he was a very, very careful reader and a very insightful reader. I think that's maybe one of his major strengths as a teacher as well. Fatalism, fate, fear, feet washing, fertility rites, festal cycle, fire, fire ritual. I could remember reading the odd article by Jonathan about teaching religion. Yeah, my name is Chris Larrick, and uh, I'm a scholar of religion interested in magic and early modern history and uh, comparison and things. And I was Jonathan Smith's student, uh, graduate student at uh, University of Chicago. It's a famous article in JAR, for example. And I thought, you know, this is very odd. And I started looking for these articles. And I discovered that there were a lot of them. And most of them had appeared in relatively obscure journals uh, for a number of reasons. And so, you know, most people hadn't seen them. 
people in religious studies. And they, they knew of Jonathan as the guy that wrote, you know, imagining religion and so on. But they didn't really know anything about this whole other dimension of his work. And as I read more and more of it, I thought it was interesting and stimulating and challenging. And, uh, and some of it was much wilder than, than I had expected. Uh, until I read the pieces, I hadn't, it had never occurred to me that he was uh, opposed fundamentally to the notion of a college major. I, with hindsight, it's obvious, but at the time I, I didn't realize this. Um, and he, he's really leveling very strong challenges. And I thought, you know, this is good stuff. So, so I suggested to him, I wrote him a letter and I suggested to him that I edit the book and, you know, he, he was ill off and on for, I don't know, 35 years or something. And so I said, look, you know, there's a lot of labor that goes into editing something and I'll be happy to do it. And he said that he was interested in doing it, but that he had already proposed that book to University of Chicago Press. And they had said that they absolutely had no interest in the book. And so uh, he didn't think that it was very saleable. So I said, well, that's fine. I'll try selling it to a different press, uh, which was another piece of labor that he didn't feel like doing. And... Uh, so, you know, I sort of took it up. Oxford was very excited about it. And um, from there, it was just the usual editing work. But it was just a matter of stumbling on this trove of material that nobody seemed to know about that struck me as eminently important and relevant. And uh, like much of his work, didn't really seem to have penetrated the consciousness of the discipline. I remember him saying to a group of us at one point uh, that on occasion he would ask his wife, uh, Elaine, to get his oldest suit ready for class because he was going to take a dive off the stage that day. And it made me think of how his uh, individual class sessions were extraordinarily carefully composed. He wasn't just winging it. He knew exactly what he wanted to accomplish from one minute to the next. Um, so I was trying to think of the things that he used to do in class. He had several small habits. Perhaps this will be helpful. Um, he would sit on the back of his chair and rock backwards. And we would all wait thinking that he was about to crash over. He did it rep repeatedly in class. Um, and this was in, in college. He never fell over, but he kept our attention wrapped on his situation. Um, when a student asked him a question, he would have a very elaborate ritual of opening his cigarette box, taking a cigarette out, tapping it against the box. So it would take about five minutes for him to get around to answering the question. But he also used to, you know, he smoked in class and he brought his own ashtray, <laughs> a little tiny pocket ashtray with a little cover. And this is another thing that students were fascinated by. We talked about it later. He would let the ash burn for a very long time until we were convinced that it, it must fall over any minute now, but it would never do it. And then he'd casually pull out his pocket ashtray and flick it in, put away his pocket ashtray and continue. Um, he smoked even when students asked him why he did it. He 
would um, sort of with a wave just dismiss the question. He also dismissed the question of um, what religion he was and whether he was religious. I remember in class he said, um, that's of no interest to me. He makes a big deal, as you know, in his writing about teaching, that nothing is necessary and that everything is to be chosen as an example of something else. And that's kind of liberating. That means if you are teaching intro to religion, it can take multiple forms that are legitimate uh, and defensible. Incense. Ineffable. Inerrancy. Infallibility. Infanticide. Infibulation. Infinite. Initiation rituals. Inquisition. Inspiration. Intention. Intercession. Intensification rites. Invisibility. Uh, he's also, of course, a hell of a guy, as we all know, and and just a pleasure to be with and listen to and um, enjoy his company and his his ability to think on his feet, which was astonishingly impressive. Uh, his sense of humor, his telling uh, observations, uh, his deep humanity. My name is Ron Cameron. I'm the professor of religion and chair of the Department of Religion at Wesleyan University in Middletown, Connecticut. I'll, I'll, I'll say two little stories about Mircea Eliade. Eliade, of course, as you know, uh, was his longtime uh, a colleague whom he loved dearly, though disagreed with uh, enormously, as is well known. Um, but Jonathan told me some time ago, uh, if I, I believe it's in, say, the mid 60s, maybe 66, 67, around then, he and Elaine, his wife, were driving cross country to go to Santa Barbara, where he was to teach for a year or two. Um, so they're driving from presumably Chicago cross country and they're going through Wyoming, the state I was born in. And so they, they stopped to get some gas. Uh, and you know, you use the use the facilities. Jonathan would have another cigarette, and so there he is uh, at at a gas station in in Wyoming on the interstate, and he 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 said a guy coming out of the men's room, and the, the guy was still zipping up his fly, but under his arm, as he was walking out zipping up his fly, under his arm was a copy of Eliot's Sacred and the Profane, and Jonathan told me, "quote He's everywhere. Eliot is everywhere." And then one more Eliotta question. This was when Jonathan was lecturing uh, uh, in Jerusalem uh, in presumably the late 90s. Uh, sorry, the late 80s, around 88, 89, something like that. And so he said that they were given, of course, a special tour of, of the Western Wall uh, with heavy security and, of course, uh, Mayor Teddy Colic of Jerusalem. Uh, and they're walking, of course, along that uh, up with security because it's a dangerous place. And, of course, Jonathan with the cane is walking more slowly with Elaine, his wife. So they're bringing up the rear. Uh, but they're up on top of the wall uh, where otherwise you wouldn't be. And so they're walking, and all of a sudden he hears the kids say, Halt! So Jonathan stops, and then the kid says, who are you? And Jonathan says, we're scholars. And he says, what are you here for? Jonathan says, a conference. The kid asks, what's it about? Smith says, sacred space. And then the kid says, and I quote, oh, Eliade. He's everywhere. He's everywhere.
He's in toilets in the men's room. He's the top of, of, of the Wayland Wall, the Western Wall. He's everywhere. <laughs> the next Eliade, that's a very strange thing to say, but he was someone who was as knowledgeable, as widely read, and as innovative, more, more innovative in some ways. Jonathan viewed him as a wonderful colleague, a kind man, sort of a, an elder in the field, um, even while he was, of course, very carefully critiquing and pulling apart um, Eliade's methods and his evidence, you know, in a very serious way. But the personal relationships were very positive. Ah, uh, yes. Well, Eliade was my teacher as well. Um, I mean, I had classes from both of them. And while, uh, as it's widely known, Smith was very critical of Eliade, and um, that wasn't necessarily reciprocated because Eliade wasn't a critical kind of person. Um, he he sort of he sort of ingested everything, and it all came out in his pattern. So it didn't matter what you said about him; it all worked somehow. But uh, Smith uh, really felt that Eliade's approach to uh, criticism to the understanding of religion was not going to carry us forward. And he then used Eliade, I think, frequently as a kind of foil to um, highlight his own approach and his, his own recommendations for the direction of the field. Uh, on a personal basis, however, I think they were really quite close friends. Um, they spent a lot of time together, and at least as Jonathan would often make reference to Eliade, it was always done in the most sort of cordial, generous, friendly, open kind of terms. So, uh, so from the from the perspective of the writings that Smith did about Eliade, it appears I think really quite different than I think that uh, reflects accurately their personal relationship. Ordeal, ordination, orgy, orientation, pagan, paradise, passion, path, patriarchal, penance, perfectionism, Periodic rites, phallic worship, plausibility structure. What I remember is mostly, you know, meeting with him, telling him everything I was doing, and he would say, yeah, and I would leave and not remember anything we'd done. Uh, he's, he's really, um, as you must know, an incredibly charismatic man. Well, uh, he was very intense. I mean, uh, I think probably everybody who spent any significant time with Jonathan had the experience of uh, discovering that on the one hand, he could be an extraordinarily attentive listener and listen very closely. And on the other hand, uh, if he wasn't in that mood, he would just talk and you just sort of sat there. Uh, like a lump and listened and he would just talk on and on and on. And then he would kind of pause 
and you'd say a couple of things and that would start him off again. And then he would talk. Um, I think he was, uh, I, I think his humor is really fundamental to who the man was. Um, he loved uh, to see the, the, the humorous aspect of things and in a way that, uh, that highlighted their depth, their humanity, their significance, their importance. Uh, and, and, and I just feel like that's a, that's a very rich part of Jonathan's heritage that we all need to uh, appreciate and accept. In 1992, the University of Toronto did a conference to honor uh, Wilfred Campbell Smith, and they brought in a number of key speakers, um, including Jonathan, uh, I say Jonathan Z. Smith as a Canadian, I still use the Z, the Z uh, there. So, you know, my name is Amir Hussein. I'm a professor of theological studies at Loyola Marymount University, which is the Jesuit University in Los Angeles, uh, did my PhD at the University of Toronto. So I've known, you know, Russell McCutcheon and and that crowd since, you know, graduate school days. Even then, I mean, this is this is over 25 years ago. Jonathan, uh, you know, had this reputation as the great, you know, historian of, of religion, you know, really uh, in North America. And so, you know, his reputation certainly preceded him. And he comes to the conference and i thought this is going to be interesting because you know at that time i didn't know his work uh, really well i'd write a couple little things but very different in orientation from wilford smith's you know kind of work but jonathan gave this lovely uh talk and and you know it was reprinted in, in uh and i think russell actually did did the work on it you know for method and theory in the study of religion uh that journal printed um you know the uh, the keynote talks that was there and his talk was looking at the fact that that you know when when jonathan smith first started sort of teaching, I think at Dartmouth, you know, he used Wilfred's meaning and end of religion. And so there's a really interesting connection of here's this guy who you wouldn't think has a lot in common with this other guy other than the last name, but yet they have a really interesting uh, connection here. And so there's uh, uh, Jonathan speaking. And, and, you know, as I said uh, earlier, the persona is just fascinating because you look at this guy and, and, you know, he's got the hat, he's got the long hair that, you know, comes out in the pyramid shape. He's got the beard, he's got the walking stick. So, you know, he looks uh, uh, striking, you know, uh, there. Uh, gives his talk, and it was just this amazing kind of talk. Um, but then it's just, and this is the thing I emailed Russell about, was uh, Don Weeb, you know, who's one of our mentors at the University of Toronto, you know, great, you know, method and theory scholar, sort of gets on Jonathan for something or other. I can't remember what it was, but the phrase logical positivism came out. And he, you know, kept poking at, at Jonathan, talking about him being a logical positivist, a logical positivist. And Smith finally just sort of loses it up on, on at the podium. And I'm not trying to do his voice, but he can't do his voice. But it really was that, Jesus, Don, you're like a pig on a truffle hunt. I'm a logical positivist. Fine. Here I stand, a logical positivist. You know, but just that, you're, Jesus, Don, you're like a pig on a truffle hunt. You know, and it was just amazing to me, but, you know, just as an off-the-cuff sort of remark, to come up with that analogy was just astounding, you know. Um, and then it was really lovely because at the end of the conference, it was like a two, three-day conference, you know, uh, they brought John Jonathan up at the end when they're doing the thank yous, and Don actually presented him with like a chocolate truffle, you know, which was just this priceless, you know, kind of moment. Giving him a tough time about being a positivist? Actually, it was the other way around. I was giving him a, a, a tough time as a positivist for his crypto-theology. My name is Don Weep. Uh, I teach at the University of Toronto, 
Faculty of Divinity at Trinity College, which is a federated um, institution at the University of Toronto. That Yeah, he put it this way, Don, you're like a pig after truffles. Um, and uh, now the, the, the conference itself was set up to honor Wilfred Cantwell Smith. Nevertheless, uh, we had about $10,000 left in those days in our kitty before we each left the center. And we decided to, to honor Wilfred Cantwell Smith and brought Jonathan Z in as one of the big speakers. And uh, I felt as Jonathan was delivering his paper that he was far too close to Wilfred Cantwell Smith type thinking. And so I, I said something to the effect, um, Jonathan, why is this not, you know, just another kind of theology? At which point he said, you know, God or Jesus Christ, you know, you're like a pig after truffles. Um, that wasn't my first experience with Jonathan, though, but it was typical of other experiences. Well, you know, this started actually early. I think it was Ivan Strensky and uh, and me who had, had asked uh, Hans Penner and Jonathan Z. Smith to help us form a kind of, you know, group within AAR itself that would just look at religion from a scientific point of view. And uh, they just said, you know, it can't be done. Um, we had a pleasant conversation. We left it at that. Uh, and then several years later, uh, Tom Lawson, Luther Martin, and I uh, at the uh, IAHR meeting in uh, Sydney, Australia, tried this again, now outside the framework of the AAR. And I think it was probably that earlier conversation with Hans Penner and uh, and Jonathan Z that, um, you know, kind of... Uh, gave us the courage to go back to him and ask him to get involved. Jack Neusner was at the conference in Australia as well, and we got him involved. And then Jack uh, bought several memberships, one for himself uh, and one for Jonathan Z. Smith, or Z. Smith. Uh, and uh, and <laughs> so Jonathan became a member of the Nasser uh, just at its very birth. But Jonathan didn't much appreciate um, or thought it was rather odd that uh, that Jack Neusner would sign him up without his permission. And so, as I've been told this story, Jonathan signed Jack up to the uh, to the um, uh, a Marxist association in the United States, gave him a free membership there just to, just to give him a gift back. Relics. Remnant, repentance, resurrection, revelation, revenant, reversal, rites of passage, Sabbath, sacrifice, sage, saint. well. And that is, check your sources. Um, so I think Smith's work began with uh, his studies of uh, Fraser's The Golden Bough. And uh, as he told uh, his students back in the early days, uh, when he studied Fraser's The Golden Bough, I mean, this is an enormous work that with, with thousands of um, documents contributing to it, Smith said that as he read what Fraser read, 
he would actually go talk to people that had also read these same works and discuss those. And um, so, so this gave him this enormous um, body of material to work with. But what was most important to Smith, particularly as he focused on the Golden Bow, was, you know, how did Fraser use his sources? Um, and he felt that Fraser used them in a way that uh, was almost always not accurate. And so much of Smith's work is simply saying, I'm just going to check the sources of the people that I'm reading. And uh, in checking those sources, one discovers then not the errors so much as the story of the uh, development of one's way of thinking, of a whole field of study, uh, all those kinds of things. So um, my book, Story Tracking, is really, which it took me like five years to research, was really starting with an incident that Eliade had quoted, um, focused on Australian Aboriginal people, and spending years and years simply tracking down the source to the source to the source to the source to try to get back to the original person. And, and, and that then revealed this entire story that was part of the development of the field. So uh, check your sources. So I've always taught my students that. I think that what he was doing could be called an anthropology of the Enlightenment. Um, he doesn't, of course, go outside. He never liked to travel much. But the anthropology of the Enlightenment is what he's doing with all the history and the footnotes, trying to see how it is that we got to understand what it is that we know and where we might go from there. And that's really his agenda. Um, so, if you, so if if one, you know, if one can really come to grips with Jonathan's emphasis not just on theory but emphasis on on intellectual sense making his his intellectual anthropology that's 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 at the heart of what he's about um i mean if i'm entirely honest with you i think that the great tragedy in a sense of jonathan's career whether it's the analytical work on religion and ritual and so forth, or the material and teaching or whatever, is that there's an awful lot of talk and an awful lot of citations, but I don't think there's very much influence at all. Um, I was at the Nasser meeting, I don't know, four or five years ago or something, when, uh, when this book on teaching religion came out, and there was a lot of people there, uh, scholars of all ages, uh, who, you know, had kind of theoretical, Jay-Z Smith, whatever kind of credentials. And they started this whole conversation about how his uh, his dictum that there's no data for religion was just obviously stupid and idiotic. Um, and I think the same thing is true in teaching. Uh, you see that there was that, uh, there was that kind of response review thing in JAR, um, uh, which was quite negative. I think fundamentally people don't want to be influenced by Jay-Z Smith. They want to say they're influenced by Jay-Z Smith, but they don't really want that. They don't want religion to be a construct. They want it really to refer to something, but they want to pretend that they think in a very sophisticated way. The same goes for the teaching. They, they want to think vaguely, oh, you know, I'm thinking of these interesting ideas and challenging, you know, and whatever. But in the end, People want to teach kind of, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam. That's going to be a good course. You know, the kids will love that. They want to start off 
with, well, first you have to get the facts, you have to get the information, and later on we'll deal with, you know, theory and stuff like that. Setting aside entirely the fact that without any kind of theory or framework or whatever, those facts mean nothing, right? You can't do anything with them. Um, nobody really wants to take on what Jonathan proposed uh, pretty much across his career. Jonathan, I, I suppose, from my point of view, was one of the most relaxed scholars in religious studies that I ever experienced. He was not uptight about it. He wasn't uptight about criticism. And yet, in my experience, I don't think there was anybody in the field, then or now, who is sharper on his feet than Jonathan Z. Smith. I mean, he was just... And, and he was, you know... For all his criticism, which could be very cutting and deep, it was never a personal attack on anyone. It was just a matter of discussing and debating the issues. And on that one, I, I, I remember one experience with Jonathan, but relatively recent, uh, at which I had pressed him and, and Burton Mack and a few others on what in the world they meant by the, the notion of redescription, the task of redescription. I said, does it mean you describe it again? Uh, you describe it in a different way? Or is there a theoretical element here? And uh, we didn't get anywhere. That was in a Nasser session. And Jonathan was then on a panel on redescription in an AAR session. And I was sitting in about the third row with Luther Martin. And before the session started, Jonathan pointed his finger at me to draw me up to the, to the dais. So I went up there. And he very quietly said, don't raise the redescription issue here. <laughs> and the way he did it, it was both a lecture um, and I think an acknowledgement that there was a problem with the terminology. But it was a joke. It was fun. He didn't get uptight. I loved him. I think one of the, when I thought about my relationship with him, what I recall is his incredible generosity as a teacher. He made himself available to me, you know, when I was a college sophomore. He was not off-putting. He was kind and welcoming and supportive all the way through my career He um, at, at the University of Chicago. He helped me get into classes. He helped me, you know, write proposals in the Divinity School. He helped me construct... Um, I changed fields while I was there. I started off in Greek studies, which is why I worked with him, and then shifted to colonial Brazilian studies. And he stayed with me right through it and helped me work out what I needed to know to move. He wrote me um, a really touching note. I sent him a copy, a bound copy of my dissertation um, in the year after I left. And he sent a note back to me saying thanks and that he hoped I would someday understand that this is one of the best moments for a teacher when a student goes out into the world. And I still have that. It's really very touching. That was his view of his students, that he would help them and support them to move on. Uh, he is, in fact, to use a word otherwise he would not use. He, in fact, is unique and sui generis. He's not just individual. Uh, he, he's, you know, he's Jonathan Z. Smith, and we'll probably never see another one like him again in our lifetime. Spirits. State religion. 
suffering. Sui generis, supernatural beings. Tabernacle. Jonathan Z. Smith Tasks. passed away on December 30th, 2017. Temple. Smith wrote over 400 unattributed Texts. entries in the HarperCollins Dictionary of Religion Theocracy. that he edited and published in 1995. Theodicy. You've heard a few Theodicy. of those entries throughout this episode, and they are Theory remarkable the for their breadth and diversity. Tradition. Trance. Transcendence, Transfiguration, Translation. Special thanks to Smith's colleagues and students who spoke to us. Tremendo. Special thanks also to Keeley McMurray, Trickster. who read all of those dictionary entries. Typology. The introduction that opened the episode Vail. was Ann Taves introducing Smith Vernacular. when he gave the Lifetime of Learning Address at the Vision. annual meeting of the American Academy of Religion in 2010. This episode was produced by me, Mike Altman, with help from our production assistant, Sierra Lawson. Study Religion is a production of the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Alabama. World's Parliament of Religions. Worldview. Worldwide Church of God. Yeshiva. Zen. Zion Swingly